WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQ&A. I'm, I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week, our guest is the artist and co-creator of the Eisner-nominated image series, Bitterroot, Sanford Green. Thanks for coming on the show, Sanford. Uh, how are you guys doing? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, first of all, I uh, wanted to congratulate you. Bitterroot, uh, your series with Chuck Brown and David F. Walker uh, over at Image is nominated for an Eisner for Best Continuing Series. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're nominated for an Eisner, you know, is that thing, you know, do you have that thing of like where you remember, you know, when and where you, you know, were or what you were, what you were doing when you got the news, anything like that? <laughs> um, well, I, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, <laughs> last year, was there was more excitement okay um and the reason why ultimately because it's the, the prestige of the of the eisners and and the, uh, things of that nature and um it's our it was our first time mm -hmm. uh so you have that factor that, that played into it but this year uh i think i it's more memorable because of where we are in 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 the state of the world really certainly and uh that same day my son graduated from high school my oldest oh. son which was kind of a, a bit of a surreal experience because we had to do the whole social distance thing yeah none of his family could have come um, were able to come except for he and except for me and his mother <clears throat> which was at least we got that so when we got the news i got the news later that day it was kind of like in a weird way it was like oh oh okay and i kind of kept going so it didn't really it didn't stick uh to me as much as it, uh, the previous year but that being said, it definitely, uh, it was a bit of a surprise. We, I just didn't know that we were going to get nominated uh, again. So, uh, you know, that means, that means a whole lot that we were nominated two years in a row. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, the book, for people who don't know, is about a uh, family of monster hunters operating in Harlem in 1924 at the peak of the Harlem Renaissance. And uh, for generations, they've been, been fighting uh, these monsters that are effectively a, a spiritual corruption that lashes onto people with, with blind hatred and transforms them into, in, into something monstrous. Uh, but they're facing a, a new threat that's sort of born of the tragedy of the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Uh, you know, and they, and they themselves lost family in, in the red summer of, of 1919. Uh, so, you know, going going back a bit, uh, you know, what what is sort of the the origin of this series? What brought all you guys together to to create this story? Um, honestly, uh, life, the state of our country, the state mm -hmm. of the world, um, and it's so such a I guess prophetic type of involvement <clears throat> to where you're doing something that you, you you're literally seeing life play out based on what we're doing in, in many ways so when we first <clears throat> were trying to um well let me backtrack sure when me and david were 
at Marvel, uh, we worked on Power Man and Iron Fist, and that got some some notoriety, and we uh, had the opportunity to uh, do pretty much a lot of the things we wanted to do, but we wanted to take it further. Marvel had different plans, uh, mm -hmm. just being honest, and uh, they they weren't necessarily interested in where we wanted to go with the characters. Mm -hmm. And we kept a lot of those ideas, <clears throat> and uh, we decided to uh, possibly do something, create our own, based on some of the things that we wanted to do in Power Man Iron Fist. So in a weird kind of way, we kind of owe uh, a bit of, of uh, thanks to Marvel for allowing us to, or basically telling us no. And that kind of allowed us the freedom to feel like we could move forward. We weren't necessarily handcuffed to the machine that is Marvel. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we, we felt like that was an important time uh, to, to possibly do something since we had gotten the notoriety. <clears throat> uh, so we brought, um, we brought Chuck Brown on board. But technically, Chuck, Chuck was already doing some things from a creator-owned uh, standpoint, we collaborated collaborated some uh, prior, but he had this loose idea about the Harlem Renaissance, and we thought that would be kind of cool based on some of the things that we were wanting to do, uh, we weren't allowed to necessarily do <clears throat> at Marvel. Mm -hmm. So we kind of put our ideas together and kind of formulated, um, form, formed the, the basic concept of the family set in Harlem and they're like an agency, if you will. Um, it wasn't until a few months later that we kind of started to see what's happening again from a social political aspect. And that's when the whole um, aspect of these monsters deriving from anger and hate, <clears throat> that's where a lot of that came from. So uh, we kind of took it from there and pitched it to Eric Stevenson. And um, before we got a few words out, he was ready to go. He was excited to see. Um, well, I think looking back at it, I think he was excited to see some different voices bringing something to possibly bringing something, something to image. And, you know, image is really uh, at the forefront of that anyway. Sure. But even with what we were bringing, it was still something um, that hadn't really seen or had there in a very long time. I, just being honest, I think the last time <clears throat> they had an all-black creative team there was Tribe with Larry Stroman and Todd Johnson, I think that's his name. Um, so we're talking 20-plus years ago. So. Wow. We, we knew that we had uh, a bit of a responsibility to not only uh, do something that would be uh, unique, but also something that would um, also possibly springboard other opportunities for other creators. We, we knew that we were kind of a conduit to some degree um, to, because we're in, a, we're, in a, we're in an industry that's very, uh, in terms of the audience, the audience has grown, is growing, it's, mm -hmm. it's become more vast, but the core of it 
the Wednesday Warrior core <clears throat> is not uh, predominantly, you know, white male. So we also knew that we needed to cater towards that as well. We, we, we had the intentions of creating this balance or, or, or doing this, this tremendous feat of gaining their support, the core audience, while bringing in new voices. Uh, so I think that's what Eric uh, was, was, was seeing at the very beginning. And um, we, we kind of took the ball and ran with it from there. <clears throat> Uh, in, in that early period, you know, how much, how much, well, first of all, the, you know, the, that whole Harlem Renaissance period and the events that precede it, you know, how much did you know about that period, uh, you know, before you started drawing, you know, how, you know, was there like a, you know, a research phase before, you know, you started getting scripts in? Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of research. Um, I still do research. I research. Uh, I research almost every issue. I do some form of research. The, you know, of course, naturally at the beginning, that was the most extensive. <clears throat> Looking at docu series and reading old news clips uh, from online. Um, that's honestly uh, how we really uh, got excited about the the time period period prior to the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, right before or right at the beginning of the, you know, some of the migrations up north, <clears throat> you know, during that time period of 1920, uh, 21. Uh, and that's when we kind of spawned the idea of doing the Tulsa um, aspect of it. Um, mm -hmm. And then we started thinking, you know, why don't we just use just all, there's so many, like impactful moments around that time. It's not just a Harlem Renaissance time period. It's, you know, two, four years prior, and then even four or five years after, kind of the prime time of, of the Harlem Renaissance. And uh, we're like, hey, we, we got our entire, you know, story arc right here. We have several story arcs just based on history. So yes, uh, to your question, there's a lot of research uh, in, and it's very empowering in a lot of ways too, because I'm not only doing, we're not only doing something to uh, educate uh, our audience, but we're being enlightened about, by a lot of things. We were like, oh, wow, I didn't know that, you know, certain aspects, you know, especially the Tulsa, <clears throat> you know, um, the Tulsa um, riots and, and, and things of that nature we saw, I guess, kind of a, a sidebar. We saw the uh, the Watchmen show, and yep. there's a lot of people that tweeted out about how um, the show really shed light on the Tulsa, you know, um, incident and how it, you know, really changed history, you know, American history specifically. And um, it was pretty cool to see within all of those big tweets from, you know, the stars of the show, Regina King. And then you started getting tweets from fans that follow our book. And they were like, yes, there's a book out there that was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> right before you guys put the, 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 the show out. So it was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I think <clears throat> that was kind of the beginnings of where um, we started getting a lot of notoriety 
like beyond the comic industry. Mm-hmm. I, I love the character designs in the book. They're all outstanding and they're, dis- they're so distinct. Every character looks so different. There wasn't that feeling that you sometimes get when you're reading a book for the first time where you're trying to remember now which character was this right. when you've got a big cast that yeah. all gets introduced at once since everyone is so distinct mm-hmm. i was immediately able even if a name didn't stick with me right away it's like okay that's that character and that's that character right since you were you know co-creator on the book this wasn't you know one of those you know writer has an idea finds an artist thing i mean was it something that you and david and chuck sort of had this big discussion about, you know, well, this character and their look, or were you allowed to just sort of go crazy in designing the characters as they appeared in your head? Um, yes, to all of that. <laughs> I think the, the the biggest thing, which I'm I'm <clears throat> I'm, I'm extremely grateful for. Uh, David and Chuck allowing me to kind of have some freedom on the the visual aspect of it. Um, As a matter of fact, I think the only direction or the only conversations we we had uh, concerning the look of the characters was uh, at the beginning to not necessarily give them a uniformed look like they had the same kind of like attire, like a, like a military thing, to not do that, to give them some more distinctive, you know, um, outfits and things of that nature. Um, we're slowly growing them into where they're going to have kind of a uniform look. <clears throat> but to your point, that's why we didn't do it at the beginning, because we wanted to give these characters their own space and identities. And um, part of that was the not only the, the physical look of the characters, but just kind of their attire, <clears throat> you know, some of the things that they um, even, um, some of the weapons they may even uh, uh, possess or, or, or the usage um, at, the, at the time just to kind of separate them. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's super uh, liberating to be able to have this type of creative. I, I haven't had anything like this in my entire career where, I'm literally creating a visual a visual narrative that is starting to influence like a lot of other creative people or people that are aspiring. Um, you start seeing fan art. When fan art comes in, that's when you're like, oh wow, they're they're doing something that I kind of came up with from birth. So uh, it's a very uh, very uh like i said empowering that's definitely awesome um you know we we talked a little bit already about uh you know watchmen bringing up the tulsa race riots and and you being able to say hey you know we did it just just a couple months before you know uh, there's obviously this book has a lot to say about uh racism and race relations that to the outside observer in 2020, you know, may feel prescient, but obviously was always there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do you feel like uh, since, you know, the, the book and, and every other comic obviously has come back 
from the the pandemic hiatus and the Eisner nomination is out there, you know, are you are you kind of seeing this kind of this second wave is a charged phrase these days, but (laughs) (laughs) this, this, you know, a a new wave of, of people kind of catching on to the book, you know, in the midst of, of everything that that's going on right now. Um, to some degree. Yes. I think we, we have this, um, I had this conversation with, um, it may have been, uh, Rick Remender about, just audiences and just um, how uh, we were just talking about not having a comic convention really this year. There's no comic cons of of any kind. Yeah. And just how the comic cons were uh, very much a, a conduit for gaining a lot of new readers Uh, is no secret when you're there, you're there to sell your product. So now it's like, how do you, what are, what are some of the platforms and obviously, you know, social media and what you guys are doing. Now you're starting to see creators like, like, like myself and uh, man, it's like, there's a ton of creators out there. There's these guys, um, comics, uh, kayfabe, Jim Rugg and Pisker doing their, they're doing their thing. You start to see a lot of this stuff come up and, as a part of that, they're promoting their, their product. They're promoting their, their projects. And um, we, we, we're doing it somewhat like that. I mean, definitely social media online, but we have this thing um, in the, the back of our books, the back matter. Mm-hmm. And that back matter is almost like a second book it's a second um it's its own thing but it's still a part of it a part of the 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 actual collection of the of each issue Mm -hmm. and that has kind of spawned this new audience in the educational sector which is really cool the academic sector we're getting Requests. I mean, before COVID happened, we had requests to make appearances at colleges and universities all over the country. And that was like, like very, uh, I guess the word, we, we just felt like we, we had something that was groundbreaking, you know, if I can kind of say it as humbly as possible, but, uh, we had something groundbreaking because we were reaching, like like I said earlier, we were trying to reach a new audience. And in a lot of ways, something that we felt were was the back matter was kind of the, the spark that kind of ignited that interest. So yes, we, we <clears throat> when you know, COVID happened, we were concerned about you know, the, you know, our, our momentum dying down and things of that nature. And to, to the question you asked, mm-hmm. when we came back, we had even more requests to do things like podcast interviews. And again, the, the, the academic sector, they're still reaching out because they, you know, they have to keep moving forward. So yeah. we're, we're finding unique ways to do it here. Um, I did a, a special <laughs> kind of a, um, 
how should you say that? I created these uh, limited bundles of bitter roots. You can get a whole set. It was catch. It, they sold out in, I think, under an hour. Wow. And I had a lot. Well, you know, not a lot, but I had a good bit. And it just goes to show people are still not only there, but it's it's growing. So it, uh, it's, it's uh, again, it's, it's definitely, um, we're in a unique, uh, special place right now. Um, you mentioned the back matter. Uh, it, it, it definitely does feel like a whole other book. Uh, you know, it, it, it makes each issue eat like a meal rather than, you know, 10, 10, 15 minutes and you're out. Uh, mm-hmm. At what point in the process did you guys bring in John Jennings and, and, and some of the other writers to, you know, start kind of curating these, these essays that went along with, uh, with the book? Uh, John was there from day one um, when we were formulating this plan, this, this idea. Um, John, uh, we would have conversations. He's, he's really good friends with uh, David as well. And um, it kind of just was full circle because we, me, I knew John, David knew John, but we didn't know that we both knew him. <laughs> and so <laughs> there would be conversations about, yeah, this is guy, he's super, you know, brilliant. And he's, he wants to do maybe, you know, some essays and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm like yeah, that sounds cool. As a matter of fact, I got a guy that's kind of interested in the same thing. And... Uh, <laughs> So we, 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 we put our collective minds together and realized, okay, John is that guy. And um, yeah, he, he's been doing it since day one. And, uh, yeah, he, he definitely is one of the more uh, forward leading thinkers of um, the whole, um, especially from the comic side of it, comics and academia, just kind of merging those two together, especially in, in, in subjects like uh, Afrofuturism and mm. now this, this, this uh, Afro-Goth uh, horror kind of thing that he's studying and, and he's formulating to, you know, create um, this, this avenue and, you know, Bitterroot is kind of in the, in, in the, in the forefront of all of that. Uh you're working, you're, you're working with two writers, you know, you've, you've got Chuck, you've got David, uh, you have a, a pre-existing relationship with David from working on Power Man and Iron Fist. Um, what is, what's the give and take like when you've got uh, two writers coming at you with, you know, a script and, and revisions and, and, you know, whatever, you know, what do you guys kind of do to make sure you're all communicating and, and kinda not getting, you know, wires crossed or do you guys all, you know, has that not really been, you know, an issue? Well, that's why we have an editor by the name of Shelly Vaughn. She's, mm-hmm. she's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you guys remember her, she's yep. pretty much a legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can thank her. She brought brought us Neil Gaiman. She brought us, you know, um, um, Bill Willingham. She brought us, you know, you fill, fill in the, you know, sure. fill in the blank. Um, some of the most um, uh, creative luminaries in this industry and beyond. Um, and she, she honestly, I still have to kind of stop for a second and think, wait, she's editing us. She's, you know, she's all in, she's completely, um, invested. So she helps us keep our wires straight. 
and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she she's she's uh, a true gem. Um, that, that, that's funny, like half answers the next question, which is wonderful, you know, uh, go, going into the second arc, you've got, you have a new colorist, uh, you know, you've, you're working with Sophie Dodgson now, uh, you've got Shelly Bond, uh, as an editor, uh, you know, obviously explaining going to Shelly Bond as a new editor, you know, how that ups your game, you know, how is, I guess, working with a different colorist, how has that kind of changed things, uh, for you? Um, honestly, um, we, we're, we're very, she, she, Sophie is, she's one of those hidden gems that I put out this, this filler on social media because we were looking for new colors at the time. And I was, I, I was interested in making sure that we, at least made some assertive effort in getting more females involved with our projects. Mm-hmm. Um, we got cover artists. We got a lot of uh, female artists doing uh, covers because they're, they're super talented artists out there who are female. And um, we just wanted to shed some light. And our, our intentions, um, were very much it stretched us because the quality along with all the other aspects, you got to, you know, try to find that, that, that perfect match. And I was about to just kind of shut it down and sit, you know, just suggest maybe we just get kind of, you know, another colorist that we've seen on a thousand other titles, but they're good. But that's all that matters. But, um, but then I decided to just kind of uh, check my, I don't know, I just checked my email one night and she buried in Instagram Messenger <laughs> was Sophie's uh, text or uh, message saying, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly new, but I saw that you were looking for colorists and specifically female. Long story short, here are my samples. She showed me, she sent me the samples and I called her the next day and I said, how busy are you? And um, we, we just kind of started looking at our schedules and going over kind of how I see things um, from a visual standpoint, um, color-wise. Um, I gave her all this. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of notorious, I think, um, on how picky I am when it comes to color. I've okay. worked with a lot of colorists. Um, and I, and all of the colors I've worked with are great colorists, but in my head, I want those colors to do what's in my head. <laughs> and you know, you know the story. So that's been kind of my conundrum is that I, I have this vision and I want, you know, the colorists to execute that vision. And if it's not 99% what I'm seeing then it's kind of you know it's just uh it's just a lot of back and forth more than it needs to be so I I definitely was uh, a little apprehensive because I just didn't want to go through that again but um, long story short she literally took all my notes because I gave her a lot of stuff I thought she was gonna be like nah you're crazy uh 
<laughs> have a nice career trying to find, uh, you know, another person that was willing to put up with this stuff. But uh, in all seriousness, she 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 took the notes, the color uh, examples I gave her, and she just ran with it. Uh, every issue goes to another level. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I told her, like, my goal is to get her nominated. So speaking of Eisner's, we, we sure, need to sure, yeah. um, at some point uh, in, the, in the future. It's a, it's a good goal. Yeah. Uh, when, the, when the series started, you know, were, were you all thinking, you know, five issue series with like an option for an ongoing, you know, how far ahead, you know, we did talk about how there was sort of a historical arc that you could work over, but uh, you know, how far ahead were you guys planning just to, to kind of start? Well, we, we, we had the, the basic premise, like, you know, most stories, mm-hmm. but we just didn't know with so many characters and not let alone the antagonist, just his backstory, mm-hmm. just how, how far can we take this or will it be too much that fine line. So we got a lot of advice. We, you know, a, a lot of creators, especially creators that came from image that are very successful from image. They, they said, you know, you got to plan for 15 is kind of the sweet spot. Some okay. inside baseball um, information there uh, plan for 15 and, you know, of course, leave it loose enough to where it can go more. Um, but plan for 15. So we had it definitely for that much. Um, without a doubt, we got plenty more, uh, as, as you can see, with so many characters and the fact that the family, we were just starting to, to kind of delve back into, uh, to, back into the family's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some characters are popping up from the past you thought were gone, but they're alive. Maybe, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of, uh, it, it's fun. It's fun stuff. Uh, but yeah, we, our plan was to, you know, make sure that we had a kind of a definite closure, but leave it so, so we can have uh, more. So I, while we're nowhere near a time of true gender and racial parity in the industry, Uh, The past few years have seen a rise in some really critically acclaimed uh, comics with, you know, black superpower fantasy and Afrofuturism, books like Black and Excellence and Mm -hmm. Ta-Nehisi Coates' run on Black Panther Mm -hmm. and N.K. Jemisin's Far Sector and now Bitterroot, which exists in the ethnogothic yeah. Uh, which is a genre descriptor I'd never seen before that yeah. bit of back matter and that it as the English major in me, it immediately just clicked in my head as that is the perfect descriptor for this book and for stuff like Jordan Peele's films. Yeah. Uh, how much of, I mean, are you reading a lot of those other books or delving into other things that fall into that ethnographic genre? Um, a little bit of all of that. I try, it, honestly, I try not to go too far into it because it, you know, the potential of influence. Sure. 
but I am very much aware of everything that is that is available, that will be available, and everything from the past. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I do, again, going back to an earlier point, part of that research is we, we start looking for things that potentially, if we hear of anything that may be out there, um, that could potentially uh, be in in the in the ballpark of what we're doing. We we, we research it and make sure that um, we're not um, crossing the streams, if you will. Mm. A little nerd <laughs> absolutely uh, <laughs> reference there that we we don't cross the streams. And again, so much of that stuff is it's you know you, you're talking kind of the basic overall premises. Uh, characters of color in these fantastical settings. There's all kinds of things that could be similar if you kind of just keep it in that general box. But mm -hmm. uh, we, at the beginning, looked and, and did a lot of reading, um, especially looking at um, Jordan Peele um, type stories to make sure that, okay, there's, cause there's something that's actually even coming out um, that we, you know, just truth be told, we got a little nervous about this thing, um, Cthulhu country. Yes. Yes. So um, HBO show, kind of a sidebar, um, get an exclusive here with this one. Um, <laughs> Jordan Peele's people reached out to us. Uh, showing interest in bitter root <clears throat> um there was some back and forth stuff kind of fell through mm -hmm. and um i think about four months later we started hearing about this cthulhu country <laughs> so we, but you know it's a book it's a book but you could tell that they that's what they were looking for they were looking for some type of ethnogothic you know a little more fantastical a little more you know with characters of color so, um, yes, but I think we, we, we landed in a pretty awesome spot regardless uh, when, when it comes to that. I don't know if that's one of the questions, so I don't want to jump ahead. <laughs> no, all good. On that, on that whole deal. <laughs> um, kind of getting into the, the individual characters uh, of the series, um, I, got, I got to say, uh, I, I kind of – I fell in love with Berg uh, as, as soon as, uh, yep. you know, I, I, I met him, you know, uh, the, the whole thing of, you know, the big guy with the even bigger vocabulary, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the X-Men fan in me, of course, is thinking about, uh, you know, Beast back when Beast was fun and, uh -huh. and, and not as morally gray. Uh, and, and also he made me look up the word insalubrious. So <laughs> I got to use that two more times and it's mine. But, I'll tell you what, <laughs> he's, made, he's made a lot of people look up a lot of words. <laughs> yourself included <laughs> oh trust me i uh when i read the script the first time and uh, uh i'm pretty sure this is david's doing for him having the high vocabulary um i stopped reading <laughs> I, <had> to, <laughs> I needed to go and take a walk and i started second guessing the whole thing like really do we really is that, will people, you know, will people embrace that? Will that be, is it too overboard? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, man, it was probably one of the best decisions. I, I, honestly, the cool thing about 
all the characters, they, they each have something that you can gravitate towards back to an earlier point of how mm-hmm. each character has its own voice. And uh, there's, there's, there's certain things about each character that <clears throat> people gravitate towards. But Berg is pretty popular. I, I would say, I put out this little survey on Twitter, who's your most popular, uh, your favorite character, I should say. And believe it or not, Berg was number one, but very, very close second. Take a guess. All right. I'm going to... I'm going to say blank. Blank. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to. Blank. And right behind her was Ma Etta. And they okay. were kind of close, the grandmother. So it's funny because, okay, so I'm giving you guys all these ex- exclusives here. So our <laughs> intention, the original intention was to push Cullen and make him the star. Okay. And there's still room for that. It's almost kind of like, um, Going back to uh, your earlier um, thoughts on Marvel characters, like Marvel teams, like the, the, the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Like Wolverine, and obviously, is the, is the star. But is he the leader? Well, no. initially, no. I mean, even you can make the argument when he was a leader, he wasn't really the leader, <laughs> right? He just was so popular. Um, but, you know, Cyclops is a leader, and people hate Cyclops, right? But at the same time, people love him. That's why people hate him. I know that sounds a little confusing. It's like people get so, he's such a, he's polarizing. I put it that way. Okay. Yeah. And so we started thinking, you know, why don't we, why don't we kind of create, because we were trying to create Cullen almost like, <clears throat> like the, you're going to fall in love with this guy because he's going to, it's kind of a rite, rite of passage, Luke Skywalker kind of, you know, hero's journey. And the more we started to hear people's uh, likes of Berg and Blink and like everyone but him, I'm like, what can we do to get, to give him the push that he needs? But once we started thinking about giving him the push that he needs, the more we started kind of working out the story, Mm-hmm. The more we realize we couldn't make him lovable. That's the only way he's going to get the, this is a bit of a spoiler, I think, but um, we couldn't, we couldn't make him out to be what we originally set out. Okay. So we had to do, we got to do something interesting with him to get him to stand out. Otherwise he's just going to be a lost character. So continue to read. You'll see uh, what we do with him. Um, and I don't think, I don't know. Um, I haven't seen anything necessarily like this, what we're doing. At least not anything I can, anything I can think of immediately. Um, not anything recent. Maybe in the past, some, some Marvel stories or whatever. But uh, I'll shut up now. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> Colin has a very interesting second arc. That's 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 all I'll tell. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but uh, you know, when you were when you were coming up with the initial character designs and kind of fleshing out, you know, the the look of of the family and and you know who they were, were there certain 
I guess, archetypes that you knew that you needed to fill. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, get, I get very, like, I get kind of the, like, Doc Savage vibes from the book. You know, that, it, like, yeah. that golden age team of adventurers, and they, you yeah. know, bicker and squabble, but they know how to get the job done, that sort of uh-huh. thing. You know, kind of going into your, you know, not necessarily checking off boxes, but you're like, you know, I, I need this kind of character. I need this kind, you know, that, that sort of thing. Well, we honestly, we just looked at, truthfully, we looked at the, the typical black family dynamic. Honestly, it's probably any family. You got, you know, your, your super successful, brilliant archetype in the family. Mm -hmm. You have your ambitious how should I say, but no one takes them quite as serious. They, they, they want to, they have to continue to show and prove themselves just to get some attention. That's blink, you know, mm-hmm. just to feel like she's really part of the, of the family. Um, Cause they keep wanting to put her in the box. You should be this way, not this way. Um, there's a lot of that in, in different family. And that's probably, <clears throat> you know, the thing that really speaks to a lot of, male uh female and male uh fans um that dynamic um <laughs> the crazy uncle you know Enoch. it's like he's a mad scientist and he's got all these crazy theories and they think he's out to lunch sometimes but he he's <laughs> on the more things you can ever realize <laughs> that that kind of thing um so yeah we we definitely had the, the intention of creating archetypes but we use the family dynamic to create them mm-hmm. um you've got you mentioned variant covers before yeah you've had you've had covers from from mike mignola from bill sinkevich david max scotty young dennis cowan mm-hmm. uh, Brittany williams you know on and on uh how much of a a say or input did you have in in the covers or who was contributing them or you know seeking people out to to you know do covers and stuff like that um very much like the the back matter is such a special thing and and i think david walker would would attest to this that that's the thing that he feels like gives him the most creative enjoyment um fulfillment i should say not enjoyment but fulfillment is that i i feel similar to the cover direction because i i'm pretty much it, i whatever i decide is what goes on the covers um <laughs> which is is pretty fulfilling so and having people like the mike mignolas and Bills and Kevitzes of the world. I, I was very fortunate to to have them. Um, very overwhelming to think that wow, all these luminaries are on a book that I created. It, sometimes you you work so much on the on the actual product, you get what you need, and then you keep moving on to the next thing, mm-hmm. and then you hear questions like you just asked and. I'm like, oh yeah, man! I had all of those guys <laughs> on covers. It's it's insane. So sometimes you kind of need someone to 
every once in a while to kind of poke you and, and, and remind you of how, how incredible uh, some of the stuff uh, you were part of really is. And now on the other hand, you're doing the variants for Chuck Brown's other series, his political satire on the stump. Um, What's the process for that? Just sort of, you get to have fun? (laughs) Well, no, he he was extremely specific about what he wanted uh, (laughs) to the point to where it was like, dude, here, just take take the images and you form it the, the way that you want to do it. Originally, I think his idea was, starting to connect all the covers to make the American flag. Um, but the American flag would be like dirty and, and, um, and just torn, um, war torn or battle torn or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, um, the faces would be kind of imposed within the flag. Um, that was a lot of work to try to make it work like that. But, um, I think he's got a pretty cool, because he showed, I, I just gave him the images and he uh, showed me the, the final covers. And I'm like, whoa, these covers are awesome, man. You know, not because of the art, but but, but because of the way that he uh, he formatted the, the actual design of it. It was pretty, pretty sweet. You're also one of the artists on the upcoming Legion of Superheroes two-parter where everyone gets every legionnaire gets i think one or two pages yeah um i don't know if there's you know if it's secret who's doing what character or can you <laughs> i don't know if it's it? secret. i don't know if it's secret or not because <laughs> i think uh bendis he tweets like 50 times a night about the legion and who's on it <laughs> And if you see it enough, you'll 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 be able to decipher who's doing what. I'm doing well, uh, another exclusive. I'm doing a lightning lad and lightning glass. So Ooh. I'm a I'm a Legion fan. Lightning lad happens to be one of my favorite Legionnaires. So that's oh, really cool. exciting. Cool, awesome. Yeah, it was cool uh, when he reached out um, about doing it. My my only concern was. Um, it was the Legion of Superheroes, and I know you, you guys are pretty hardcore about <laughs> the Legion characters. And <laughs> I, there are definitely people who are really. I I, I tend to be uh, a little lighter on that. Legion is a book I came to later uh-huh. in life, so I think I'm a little more accepting, and I'm not one of the you know like old school like. I worked in a comic shop for 15 years and my boss, the owner of the store was like a Legion fan from back in the sixties. So he was there for the whole yeah, arc of things. I yeah. discovered the Legion around the year 2000 when we'd er- there'd already been a reboot. So I'm yeah. kind of accepting of, Hey, you know, these characters are malleable and you can change <laughs> them as, as needed to fit the story. And right. I'm just glad to see the Legion back because we had quite a while there where there, there wasn't any Legion. Yeah. They were in, in, in limbo for lack of better words. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Just seeing the, you know, just seeing the, the list of uh, creators and being a part of that. Um, that, you know, 
contributing covers, doing, you know, guest spots and other books on top of, of drawing a regular series, you know, uh, to, to the, the non-artist outside observer, you know, it's, that sounds like a lot, you know, uh, you know, what do you do to kind of decompress or, or avoid burnout when you've got all this stuff going on? <laughs> well, I used to watch sports, but, uh, <laughs> Korean baseball is a sport. <laughs> oh, well, that is true. I, I've I've watched the recently. I've watched I watched some of that. That was a little a little too too depressing for me. But um, <laughs> because it's not it's like no one in the stands, so it's yeah. kind of like baseball. But it's all, it's almost like warm up practice. It's, it's just weird. But hmm. um, um, but I watched the national semi-finals and finals of the cornhole championships, which <laughs> I play cornhole. I don't know okay. if the, the, the game, but oh, yeah. it's like horseshoes, but, you know, it's using yeah. the bag, the bean bag or whatever. I'm like, okay, this is, this is a true test of my, of my <laughs> need for yeah. some type of uh, sporting event i don't know what's going to happen with this nba thing I, I honestly don't feel too confident with it they're going to just muscle through it it's going to be weird and, you know but what are you going to do right now but uh but yeah that was kind of that's my my one thing that's kind of like away from all of this I, sometimes i try to exercise but <clears throat> covid kind of really shut a lot of that down that slowed me down a good bit so yeah i got to get back to that Sorry, I made that. I made that. No, no. Hey, listen. This is this is the stuff we're all going. We're all going through. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking. You know, back to you know, obviously things are dicey with the NBA and Major League Baseball, especially as you're hearing. You know, oh, this player just tested positive. You know, etc. And it's funny because, like, you know, at the at the beginning, it's like the content was there to take your mind off it a little yeah. bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like ESPN was like, okay, you're getting the last dance now. <laughs> right, right. And I'm, I'm like, man, don't they have another 20 of these types of things in the bank? You would think that they have, from my understanding, ESPN has a, 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 about four or five other things that they're trying to put together. Wasn't intended to come out until like after – you know, uh, like, you know, when the dead period of sports, they were going to bring that yeah. kind of stuff out. So now they're kind of fast track tracking a lot of that stuff. Hopefully it'll be as good as the uh, last dance stuff. But um, I, to, to your point about the whole, you know, uh, NBA season, mm-hmm. I, 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 this is when you know it's going to get serious. When a major, you don't want this to happen, but if a no. major player gets it, that's it. I think they'll shut the whole thing down, in my opinion. It doesn't have to be LeBron. It just has to be someone in that upper echelon, in yeah. my opinion, because what are we really coming to see? We're coming to see these major guys try to compete, especially LeBron. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, you don't want that to happen. You hope it doesn't happen, but <clears throat> this thing is just weird, man. It's just a very unsettling time. In in so many ways, yeah. Yeah, I mean, any crowd based entertainment. I mean, it's the it's one of the good things about comics is that as much as we love conventions, it is 
in many ways a solitary thing you can get your comics yeah. and you go and you sit at home and you read them right. sports or my day job is in the theater and oh, wow. we're shut down I mean, actors equity isn't no one is sure when equity is going to be like okay you can we're going to allow people to start working in you know more than the tiniest of groups yeah. it's it's i mean it's it, you know you were talking about you know the last dance as you know a way for people to get that sports fix it's why the i mean other than the fact that it's an amazing and well regarded play but the this past weekend we saw the release of hamilton yeah on disney plus and that that is you know getting a lot of people's you know theater bug yeah bitten for the for now because we can't do you can't do live performances anywhere near as easily as you could four months ago man if you want to keep keep going down this rabbit hole i i think stuff like specialty things entertainment mm -hmm. not necessarily the sports stuff but like to some degree maybe theater um there may be kind of a a reconfiguring of of those things like cons i someone who was i talking to maybe i can't remember we were just talking about how comic cons you just you you really can't foresee that happening again until there's a vaccine that works yep period there's no yeah. there's no gray area with this thing well maybe if you know next year no if it ain't if the vaccine ain't here next year it ain't no cons there's not there's not going to be any J just today dragon con finally <clears throat> oh they did yeah, yeah. Didn't see it, yeah. No. so and that was you know dragon con they're, they're kind of like the the living embodiment of going against the grain of all kinds of things you know because <laughs> mm -hmm. of just the, the nature of the, the that convention and i'm like you know it wouldn't surprise me if they still try to have this thing simply because it's just, you know, but um, they, they canceled. I, I think that's the first time. Well, it was the first time for most of these shows, but, um, but yeah, I just don't, I, I think not having uh, that vaccine, I think what may happen, even if there is a vaccine, there may be, you may go back to cons where they're like in hotels yeah, you know, small. You you got maybe a couple of hundred in there, and that's it. You know, and they all spread out, and it's only one day, not two days or whatever. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more of that kind of thing, kind of take the place of conventions, the big ones, because the big ones got all the. I think every convention across this country that's of note got at least 50,000 people, you know, each, you know, the, the, the mega cons, the, um, you know, um, all of the read pop shows, yep. those, you know, that, that other convention that, um, is pretty big, um, ran by, um, the guys that do, um, Boston and, might it may be MegaCon as well, but yeah, those places like that where all the all those sponsored shows, all that stuff, just everything is fifty thousand plus. Yeah, and it's like 
yeah, I, I just don't see any of that stuff happening. I, I think that the big thing is going to be, well, first of all, New York still has to cancel. Yeah. Uh, they have to. But right. I, I, I guess we need to see how the whole Comic-Con at home thing turns out san diego's <laughs> kind of virtual programming yeah yeah because if that gets the 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 views and the advertising behind it you know yeah that's going to be the way of saying hey this is the model for the next little bit yeah 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 I, I i that that's a tough one right there because it's kind of like i don't mind doing it because hey if i could get the same amount of revenue for being at a show, having to travel and set up and hotel and do all that stuff. I don't have any of that overhead and I can still make the revenue. Um, then I'm like, yeah, sign me up for anything like that. All, all I have to do is turn around from my desk and face this computer and I'm at a con, you know, that that's kind of neat, you know, for me, but, uh, uh I just don't know if the audience is, I don't know. I don't know if they're game with that. I mean, I, yeah. I think they will be game for now. Yeah. But you're not filling your sketchbook at a virtual con. Right. You could get, you yep. could order commissions online though. But you're not, but again, you're not getting them in your sketchbook. And for Fair. people like me who have that sketchbook that they have been filling page after page for nine years, hmm. a virtual commission, you know, a commission on, you know, that I can frame and hang up is great, but it's not the next random Batman character that the artist wants to draw in my sketchbook of mm -hmm. all the random Batman characters that all the <laughs> other artists have wanted to draw. Yeah. So basically, it's going to be Batman, the Joker, the Mike Mignola, Mr. Freeze, or something that nobody ever thought of. Uh, <laughs> right. Or getting books signed, something as simple yeah. as getting books signed. Yeah. Um, that's part of why I did the initial uh, bundle idea, because it's a little more than just getting one book signed. I got to make it worth my while to ship stuff out. So that's the other part. Part uh, um, I guess, you know, you're, 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 you're taking away one thing and having to add something else. Like I may not have to travel a lot, but I have to go to the FedEx office like twice a week now because of our state, state of things. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, of production of Bitterroot itself, you know, did, you know, apart, you know, was there, did there end up being, having to be any sort of like hiatus period or anything like that? The pandemic end up kind of throwing a wrench into, you know, making the book itself. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Um, we we got the kind of I don't know. It was a semi pencils down um, mm. deal. Lasted mm -hmm. for about three weeks or something like that. It was fine for me. That's when I started doing those bundles because I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I need to do something to kind of keep myself available, but um, out there and. Um, uh, once it kind of opened back and got the ball rolling, it was, man, I've been just as busy as I was before. That's good. Are you, are you a part, did you go to uh, that terrific con? Do you go to uh, the one in Connecticut? No, we, uh, we haven't been. Okay. 
Yeah, I got it. I was invited to that. Man, that's the thing about this year is, man, I got invited to a lot of cool shows that I was looking forward to. Um, I got invited to, um, oh gosh, the Thought Bubble. Oh, wow, in England. Yes. Um, I think they're going to be doing something similar to virtual thing. I'm like, um, that doesn't, does that mean I'm not invited that this kind of covers the, the invitation? You know, the virtual, they said, no, no, we want you to come physically. I'm like, okay, cool. That would have felt like, man, I got shafted on this one. <laughs> you know, one time I get invited, they're going to, you know, fly me and my wife out there. Um, I got invited to Germany. Ooh, that's cool. Um, um, and then uh, Luca. In, mm. yeah, I invited to that. So all these cool opportunities all just kind of went by the wayside. Yeah, We were finally going to do Baltimore. Every year, for years, we've been saying, we're going to do Baltimore. We're going to do Baltimore. Oh, wow. This year, we had the Airbnb, and, we're, you know, th- this was the year. And now, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. Well, yeah, was, we'll get we'll get there bad. eventually. Get there eventually. <laughs> There's another side to this, but uh, yeah, yeah um, you know, moving forward, uh, you know, been been sitting here, you know, your, your listeners are getting the audio, but we're on camera, and I'm I'm looking at this this beautiful spinner rack uh, behind you. Is this, <laughs> uh, you know, what what do you have in there? Is this just you know a couple of favorites? Is this the bulk of your collection? Is this reference material? What's the uh, how is this curated? <laughs> um, all of the above, actually. Uh, a lot of my favorites, big, big influence. Uh, uh, Michael Golden is a big influence. Um, Art Adams. Um, my Michael Golden, I have pretty much a Michael Golden section. Yeah. Uh, all the stuff he did, like Nam, all the Marvel fanfare stuff, <clears throat> the infamous... Um, uh, I call it infamous because when I was a kid, uh, more, uh, gosh, what's the Avengers Annual number ten? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it was infamous. Infamous uh, because when I was a kid, it um, I bought the comic. I saw the cover, and I was super excited about seeing X Men and the Avengers on one cover uh, in one book. And when I opened the book, it didn't match the cover. That's when I first understood that the art and cover art <laughs> and interior can be two different things. And um, the interior art was Michael Golden, and that just completely freaked me out. <laughs> I didn't like it. I didn't like the way it looked. It was like, oh, what's up with these big eyes and the all the lines on the faces? It just scared me as a kid. So <laughs> I threw it away. I threw that book away. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but fast forward, I got into all his nom stuff, and um, that was kind of the big thing because it felt like it had this cartoony element to it. If you, if you know my work, I, I have a lot of the you know animated cartoonist kind of style influences there because animation is a big influence for me. Um, and then I saw his work in Nam. And then I started discovering his work in Marvel Fanfare, and I'm flipping out. Like, who is this guy? Is he like one of the 
image creators or something because he then found out that he was highly influenced by all those image guys that, that you know Rob Liefeld and um, Tom McFarlane and so on and so forth. So he's kind of like the 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 grand you know he's the, the the leader if you will of that whole look. Then I kind of did some tracing back to his earlier works. And what did I see? The book that I threw away, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And um, but I, I picked it up. As a matter of fact, I got two, just in case. <laughs> just in case, it's like, all right, am I gonna be freaked out like I was as a kid? And I, far from it, man. I, I, I'm one of my missions in life is to get uh, get an original page from that actual annual. I've been eyeing a few. They're a little pricey for me. Mm-hmm right now um but um i've got some stuff that's a close second some noms stuff and um he did a gi joe annual that oh my god that thing is probably the most amazing single body of work i've ever seen from any artist uh just one issue and it was just absolutely insane um yeah but he's probably my He's, well, not probably, he's definitely my number one influence. So a lot of that stuff is on, on my spinner rack. A- among, you know, other things, I got some some stuff up here, Black Panther, mm-hmm. some of the earlier issues. Um, Billy Graham is a, another artist that I'm starting to really uh, adore his work. He's very, uh, uh, what's the word, storytelling and panel layouts or, I'm starting to put some of that stuff, implement some of that stuff in my, uh, in the bit of root stories. Awesome. You, you just said that you animation is one of your influences. I'm just curious, what are some of your favorite animated series or movies or. Oh, wow. Um, growing up. So, okay. So um, I'm starting to, I think COVID is also making me feel very nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're just trying to find some comfort. And, of course, for the most part, most of our childhoods, we got that that, that sense of uh, enjoyment and excitement when you discovered your first comic and cartoons or whatever. So I'm starting to binge. <laughs> I'm binging um, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. The, the, the Marvel Studios which was funny, like Marvel had their hands in a lot of things back then that wasn't Marvel. Yeah. So they had all the G.I. Joe stuff, license, and and, mm-hmm. uh, and they had the Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, I'm looking at this cartoon and it still holds up. It's so awesome, man. I love the, the you know, some of it's hokey, obviously, um, but um, I'm like, hmm, Maybe I need to I need to find out who owns the rights to this thing and see if you know I might be able to pitch, <laughs> you know, mm. pitch a, a, an idea. You never know. You never know. Yeah, it's, I think IDW's got it right now. By the way, just in case. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, okay. they've they've okay. done some D and D books lately. Okay. Or, is it based on cartoon or is it based? It's from the some of the characters, I believe from some of the novels i don't think okay. they've done anything based on the animated series but yeah. they have the the license from wizards of the coast at least. yeah 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 i i have a sneaking suspicion that the characters on a tv show are all 
kind of convoluted, you know, owned by some company that closed years ago and now, you know, all kind of liquidated, you know, you know yeah. liquidation of characters or whatever. I just have a weird feeling about that. Yeah, I mean, D&D has changed hands a few times. It's been yeah. per TSR, which was bought by this, which was bought by that, which was is now owned by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. So. yeah. Hmm. But then again, it never hurts to ask, so I think I might. Um, but true. yeah, I, I may need to check that out because um, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Uh, that was definitely one of my favorites. Um, you know, the, the the other typical, you know, superhero stuff, like the Super Friends, Spider-Man, Amazing Friends. Um, there was this show, and this is more of the me getting into the anime influence, because <clears throat> um, that's another thing that I really got into coming up. Um, there was this show that was very anime influence called Mighty Orbots. Um they were, it was produced by TMS Entertainment. Um, if you're familiar with that production company, um, they, I think, I could be wrong, but they kind of reformatted and became DIC, the Geek, yeah, those guys. Yeah. Um, and you, you can look at even their that studio's work and could see the anime influence in a lot of their stuff. Mm, definitely. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I could be wrong. I think TMS, that studio was responsible for the Transformers movie, animated movie. Oh yeah. Mm. So if you like that, mm. just imagine a TV show that had that quality of animation in it. You can just go online. The intro I will I will fight people to this day. Their intro, I thought, right, it definitely rivaled, possibly could beat the Thundercats intro. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like that's that's almost kind of sacrilegious to say that, but <laughs> uh. Uh. So, uh, wanted wanted to ask uh, this kind of going going real quick back on the better root front. Uh, I don't know if you guys have talked at all or thought at all about merchandising, but uh, you know, <laughs> Uncle Uncle Enoch's little little pets. Oh yeah, uh, wonderful <laughs> plush dolls. <laughs> well, you and every other fan that we come across. Have, have <laughs> <an idea. laughs> So yes, uh, we do have plans for those kind those kind of things. As a matter of fact, we're 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 playing with some things right now, um, even in the story. So <laughs> cool, yeah, cool. Uh, get them on somebody's shelf next to their stuffed uh, Poyo from Chew <laughs> <laughs> and Lion Cat. Yes, and Lion Cat, <laughs> a whole line of uh, image. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um where what are you uh what are you reading these days um honestly i'm just podcast uh it's kind of hard to do a lot of reading um mm-hmm. well it's not hard it's just that i'm back to the drawing board so it's kind of hard at this moment 
but um, I um, the podcast side of things. Um, actually, I started an audio book, story of Rakim Eric from the the, the hip hop hmm. artist. He has an cool. audio book that um, I, I'm checking out still. Um, and there was a podcast that accompanied that. Um, and I am, it's called um, The Technique, which is a very, very thought-provoking um, book. And um, in terms of um, actual, let's see, podcasts, um, like I said earlier, kayfabe guys are really got me. I think that's what's really kicking in the nostalgia aspect of everything for me, um, because they go and do this um, <laughs> this um, exploratory of, uh, I guess, um, review on every Wizard magazine ever produced. <laughs> you know, it's like wow. they go from issue one to the very end, which is absolutely insane. Every page. <laughs> they do a discussion on for the most part and i just thought that was just insane like wow you you guys took the time to not only talk about it but they reviewed like they studied it so that they can talk about it so it's like man quarantine has really got those guys <laughs> <laughs> it's like what can we do to entertain ourselves let's okay let's pick up these magazines these wizards and uh have a discussion but i love it though it's 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 pretty awesome and it made me that's what made me get uh get into their their podcast was seeing that and it just made me think if they can do that and they explain and break through these breakdowns and you're 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 literally people underestimate how influential or at least they've kind of forgotten how influential wizard magazine really was to this whole culture oh yeah that mm-hmm. was the bridge to everything we have right now you know um say what you will about all the shady practices business practices or whatever but in its peak it was like it was the reason what it's honestly what why most of us working today are in the industry because that magazine was literally a textbook of who to, who to meet at a con and what publishers are out and, you know, all those good things. So, but yeah, so I'm studying, I'm not studying, but I'm, I'm listening to a lot of that kind of stuff right now. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, uh, Sanford, uh, you know, we'd, we'd love talking with you. Uh, how can, as we're wrapping up, how can people uh, follow you and uh, support your work right now? Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Sanford Green. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you guys for having me. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A and WMQ Comics are now part of the Xavier Files media empire, meaning you can find all our great comics coverage, along with some of the best X-Men and Marvel criticism around, at XavierFiles.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at XavierFiles.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQcomics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. 
Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones and Match Club podcasts, Robert Secundus from DocsTalks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Madrinsky from Mojo'sWork.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel Spider-Woman series, Saren, and Lan M from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ Comics and Xavier Files on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you our best content every week in your inbox, plus sneak peeks at what's ahead and an early look at our Sunday editorials. And until next week, in the immortal words of Abraham Lincoln, be excellent to each other. W-N-Q-A.